episode eight of Jack the Last podcast, also our season finale. We're here to recap the HBO BBC series Gentleman Jack and generally have a gay old time. I'm Carrie. And I'm Kelsey. Yeah, and welcome to not only the season finale of season one of Gentleman Jack, but also season one of Jack the Last podcast. Kelsey, how do you feel about we're at the end of the road, sort of? Uh... (laughs) I mean, I feel pretty good. This is A gone by really fast, and I think we've covered yeah. a lot of really good ground. Um, and then I'm excited for season two, where we're going to be kind of going into, delving into the world of Ann Lister and Ann Walker a little bit more, more than more so than what we've had so far. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's really nice because this, I don't know, just like looking back, I'm like it's been really fun doing this podcast with you and, and seeing uh, the way you know, people who engage with us on social do engage with us because it is kind of the experience. I think we both hoped that we would find, you know, a very sort of like, not even like a book club, but like, I know I was an English major at Carolina, uh, go to our heels. And it was like that sort of experience of like, we're all reading the same thing. We're all exploring and diving way too deeply into this like piece of media. And so it's been really nice to get to do that. Yeah, this is a strong community and a strong fandom and a really nice fandom. And everybody's very nice Mm -hmm. and kind. And everybody has had like a very emotional reaction to Gentleman Jack. So it's been nice to see that because it's two people that create media for people to ingest similar to Gentleman Jack. It's to me, this is the most reporting for me. This is the most rewarding part of content creation. Um, whether I'm creating it for a TV show at like Gentleman Jack or I'm doing something like this on the side is the reaction you get from other people. And that's really amazing to see because it really does make a difference. And it really shows you that, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, it's just a TV show. It's just this, it's just that. No, it has like an emotional impact on people. I don't think people realize how much mm-hmm. TV shows and movies and books and things like that mean to people, especially people that are in marginalized people groups. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Um, and in the spirit of that, even though we've kind of hit the end of our episodes, um, we will be continuing to put out episodes every three to four weeks. So once, maybe twice a month, um, exploring different things, different aspects of the show. We're going to have guests. Uh, and if you consider yourself an expert in something and Lister and Walker related, or if you're just like an expert lesbian i don't know (laughs) hit us up um but yeah we're looking we're going to be talking to people who also love the show who have you know a really interesting perspective but also diving into fun stuff like astrology um other pieces of you know media that explores the lives of like queer women period pieces particularly queer uh focused period pieces is a passion, I think, of both of ours, I feel comfortable saying. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot more to come in the future. You know, if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, it's not too late. Also, if you want to leave us an iTunes review, I mean, we wouldn't hate it. So, Um, but yeah, so basically that's where we are. There is more to come, I promise. Um, But without too much further ado, want to jump back into the recap? Yeah, sounds good. Let's talk about probably my favorite season finale of any TV show I've ever watched. I've watched a lot of television shows. Uh, 
So good. So good. Because uh, it works because as uh, it's no secret that the show is very much produced to be with with the I think understanding that very likely it would be a limited series that I don't think even and Sally Rainwright has said this she did not anticipate the amount of excuse me fan fervor that she received um on both sides of the pond um and so it was very much written an episode to tie up most loose ends but leave like one or two smaller ones for that either one people who know the history to know how the lesbians, uh, the rest of their story, but then also like in the minor characters creating, you know, a few open ends, uh, which we'll dive into. Um, but yeah, so we start with Ann Lister writing to her aunt about Sophie, uh, this wealthy, unmarried uh, young woman that she happens to be traveling with. She's escorting her back to Copenhagen after she turned down this a much older, like something like 20 some odd years older Russian man from her who's like extremely wealthy. And this girl just had no interest. But then we get this very cute, very flirty, which is kind of ironic because it's very interesting. She's like, oh, I shot down this man that they wanted to shackle me to who was 20 years older. But also she straight up is flirting with Ann Lister in the most, I don't know. I was just like, ooh, this is really... This is really fun. But I mean, obviously there's a fundamental difference between being married to a much older man you don't know and, you know, a carriage flirtation with like this very like, quote unquote, odd woman. But um, yeah, it's great. She um, is looking at her and Lister. Can we talk about how Sarah Jones is seated in the scene, Kelsey? I feel like you I know queer people, queer people can't sit in chairs, <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially women. Down. It's very much a queer yeah. woman thing, more so yeah. than men. Men sit in chairs is fine. Yeah, queer <laughs> women can't sit in chairs, right? Um, but it's also, I mean, this is true to reality, too. Um, Anne did travel with Sophie for all f- from Paris to Copenhagen, and they did flirt. Hmm. Like, Anne talks about it. They had a very, like, flirtatious relationship. But, and you kind of see this in that scene at the waterfall that's, like, right after this. Um, in real life, by the time they got to Copenhagen, Anne was kind of, like, over Sophie. She kind of got on her nerves. She kind of got on her nerves a little bit there towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, this kid is, like, 19. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> um, Ann Lister has, you know, very little in cop. Like, she does not seem to be someone who's out on the prowl for a much younger uh, woman. Despite the age difference between her and Ann Walker, which is only like uh, 12, 12-ish years. Uh, it's like 11 or 12 years, yeah. Yeah, which isn't crazy um, for either gender at this time period. Um, but yeah, this, this kid, look, the eyes of a child <laughs> can see things super que- clearly. I almost said queerly, but I'm like, mm, you know, both, <laughs> both work. Um, she goes like, oh, Ooh, I was about to do like a very offensive French accent and she's definitely Danish. Yeah. Uh, might be. <laughs> to both to both nationalities of people. Um, she goes, what are you running from? A woman? And Anne just like looks at her and then she goes, of your rank, traveling alone is unusual. And I'm like, Sarah Jones, her barely concealed poker face. God bless her. She just like, <laughs> her, her whole body freezes and she's like, you know, has her feet stuffed up against like the edge of this um, 
this like little carriage that they're in. She's like basically horizontal and just doesn't move. Um, and then basically she's like, oh, you know, and just wanted to travel. She kind of like hedges around it. And then uh, Sophie goes, oh, she's like, oh, you know, I had my heart broken, blah, blah, blah. And so then Sophie goes, so who is he? And then there's just like this pause where you can see Anne doing like the mental math of being like, am I going to out and out lie or just, uh, you know, just like think what you want sort of thing. And then Sophie goes after a pause, she, and then there's a, hmm. And she, her and Jones drops this pen just like in the middle of the cab. And then we cut to, uh, <laughs> then we cut to title sequence. I was like, oh, that was so good. What a very, what a very tight, cold open. I know. And there's some, obviously there's some fanfic out there about like Sophie and Anne and the carriage ride to Copenhagen. That's been written. You can go find it. It's out. It'll be linked to in the show notes. No, it won't. (laughs) (laughs) It won't. Um, So, yeah. So then we get to, we jump up north. That's my northern English accent. I watch a lot of Downton Abbey. Uh, (laughs) That was not good. Um, So, yeah, basically, uh, Sister Liz, uh, Anne Walker's Sister Liz, has been corresponding to Anne Lester uh, about her sister's mental health. Um, basically not saying anything explicit about the sort of incidental suicide attempt that, uh, we see happens with Anne at the tail end of the last episode. We do see that she's fine. The first shot of the North that we do get is her, it's a very gray day. And Sophie Rundle's just standing out there like with people talk about the lesbian shawl as a thing. And I did not realize it was until the show. But then ever since, like, someone pointed out to me, I see it everywhere as, like, oh, a lesbian grieving shawl. Like, last episode, someone pointed out with that, like, plaid. Because, like, we we never really see Anne Lister in a shawl. And she had this big plaid when she was sitting, like, sat at the table with <laughs> Mary. Yeah. And now uh, Anne Walker has one as she stares into, like, the Scottish Highlands uh, in despair. <laughs> and then her sister um, is talking uh, with... I think I'm jumping ahead a scene or two, but it's all more or less the same where she's talking to Captain Sutherland, basically being like, you know, hey, I was going to write back the letter of advice that Ann Lister uh, sent to me was super helpful. And I wanted to, like, thank her. And he's like, oh, I tossed that. It seemed like she kind of had, um, and to use his words, an unhealthy obsession. And he's like, yeah, she's all over her sketchbook. And I was like, yo, you're going through someone's... Look, I went to an arts high school. Like, sketchbooks are, like, sacred. Like, you don't be going through people's... It's like, it's like going through someone's diary. Which it was. It was very much... And I mm-hmm. like that parallel, whereas Anne Lister was a diarist. Like, a consummate diarist. No pun intended. And um, Anne Walker, you know, is constantly drawing. And that is her emotional outlet. And so, like, of the only ones we ever see her really get to partake in... Um, and so the fact that he just like went through it, but then also could read enough into it to be like, yeah, he draws her a lot. Um, also in hopes of, uh, you know, maybe what'll get her outside of herself is marriage and some children. Um, he's totally in, like, again, as mentioned, his cousin Alexander is going to come to dinner. Um, and the goal that's not explicitly stated here by him to his wife is, oh, you know, it'll increase the wealth of his family and help him, you know, kind of get this cousin 
checked off the list and the debts, his, all of his extensive debts will be taken care of. Um, and so explicitly the line he says is she should marry and have children. So she has something to think of other than herself. And Elizabeth goes, giving birth doesn't always rid one of one's demons. And he goes, he seems genuinely perplexed as he delivers this line. He goes, really? Oh, good gracious me. It really should. And that's when I wrote F this guy for five ever. (laughs) (laughs) It really was, but it really was at the time. It was like, you know, you, yes, your goal job in your one job in life as a woman is to marry, have children, to perpetuate the family line, keep the home. But also like the idea of you being a person with hobbies and feelings and loves other than your husband and your kids was just so, uh, you know, it, it, it was a, it, yeah, it was just like an erasure of a whole person. Was There was a certain degree of an ex- expectation of an erasure to a person, particularly in super unhealthy marriages like this one between Captain yeah. Sutherland and Sister Liz. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's a, actually in the script, um, there's a deleted scene with Alexander McKenzie and and oh. um he like it's it's real weird like he they don't show them at dinner or maybe they do show them at dinner like Anne leaves and then she goes upstairs and like he follows her but like not in a creep way mm. he's real awkward they paint him as super awkward and he's like trying to talk to her and he like brings up marriage again and she just like shoots him down it's a little bit like power bottom man um but there is a scene that was deleted mm-hmm. that was in the shooting script i don't know if they actually shot it or not but it's in the shooting script um, that Alexander McKenzie did like they casted somebody <laughs> uh, to play him and they had scenes together but it's basically just like Anne just shrugging him off so I can kind of see where they cut it I'm picturing a very Mr. Collins vibe if you any of you are Pride and Prejudice fans <laughs> particularly in the film where he's just like this very nervous like man who's very awkward and too intense um but yeah, I kind of, uh, that's interesting. I would have liked to see another moment of Power Bottom Man, but I don't think they wanted to give her that before the, her, that scene with Elizabeth where she's totally galvanized and totally takes control of her life here. Um, yeah. I think it would have like tipped the hand a bit too early uh, narratively. Um, blah, blah, blah. There's more cult drama. Oh no, the thing's flooded. Ah, but there's no money left. Uh, dun 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 not super interesting uh and makes it to copenhagen with sophie uh eugenie oh and it's like sideways raining out and as someone who was caught in a sideways rain recently the other day <laughs> there's no more miserable state of existence than being stuck outside in that um so sophie looks less than pleased so i think to your point like they both got a little cabin fever over each other because yeah. Sophie looks so displeased in the scene also but no one is having a worse time than Eugenie who's having to carry that giant thermometer and like wait as <laughs> an like I'm heading off to the apartments um Eugenie send along um I forget the the groom's name Thomas uh, send Thomas him along Beach. Thomas yes yeah thank you send along Thomas with the all the like accoutrement or whatever and Eugenie just looks so freaking done uh, and I'm like, oh, Eugenie, that's going to be, guys, stick along with us in our hiatus because we will be releasing a Gentleman Jack drinking game. One of the rules is every time Eugenie hates her life, 
<laughs> take a drink. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, then Anne immediately gets and asks if there's any mail for her. Uh, nothing from Miss Walker. And so she's naturally super bummed. Um, she puts on her one fancy ass dress uh, to hang out with her cool continent, continental friends, much like Abby from Broad City. If you guys are familiar with in the first season, Abby buys a very expensive light blue dress and proceeds to wear it for literally every time they go to a club or like a nice bar for the rest of the series, um, which has someone who like that is extremely relatable to me. And I love that for Anne as someone who's like, I'm not going to be full, you know, full femme for nothing. Like, but yeah. if I, when I am going to do it, it's going to be this one look. Um, oh, and can we talk about at dinner? Um, everyone's just being, oh, ha, ha. they're all like love. They're embracing her and they're like, oh, we'll introduce you to royalty. And someone, and someone's like, oh, someone uses the word trouble. And I did write down what Sophie says in response where Sophie goes, Miss Wester loves trouble. And then Sir Ann Jones just shoots her the biggest like <laughs> you stop that stare which yeah. is so good um auntie Anne is going real tiny tim uh, back in halifax um is kind of like i compare it to when lord grantham was quote-unquote dying for like the penultimate season ulcer? of downtown abbey yeah that stomach ulcer which turned out to be one a really disgusting scene yeah <laughs> people compared it people angrily wrote into um the the network that it broadcast on uh it was itv yeah Yeah. people angrily wrote into itv comparing it to the chest verser scene in alien (laughs) as being gratuitously gory which is so which is so funny um but yeah she looks like real sickly is real tiny tim like coughing and is too weak to like even have a letter being read to her uh which made me so nervous because i would have been so sad if she died um, yeah. but in back in Halifax, also, Anne has clearly asked her father for contingency money to deal with any future coal, like 450 pounds. Um, and he's starting to ask questions of like, where he asked Washington, like, where did this coal money, or the money she got initially to sink the fit come from? He's like, truly, I don't know. She, you know, plays her stuff very close to the best. Um, and so clearly that, uh, is set up for that ball is also in the air as the ep- the events of the episode ratchet up further and further. In that scene, if you see the way I love, there's a lot of really good transitions in this episode, like from an editing oh, and cinematography and directing uh, perspective. There's a really amazing shot there where they're, and the camera's, you know, wide shot looking into the room with Marion and Aunt Anne, and I think Dr. Kenny's there. And then it pans across and you start hearing the audio from, Captain Lister and Mr. Washington's conversation and it's fading yes. and the camera pans to the next room. I was like, bravo. I, those little creative touches are so good. I know how long that takes and like that takes a lot of extra skill, but that little bit of extra effort, I think just kind of like sets a show apart from just your run of the mill. Like, okay, we're well, now we're in this scene. Now we're in that one. Well, like they took the time to actually compose something and think of something. And there was a lot of that in this episode. So, I don't know if Sally Wainwright directed this episode i think i don't know i think there might have been different directors but they're all female i'm pretty sure this whole series um but whoever directed this episode and shot it and also edited it 
clap. I clap to you, Excellent. That transition is a thing. I have one I noticed for the first time in rewatching this episode for the third or fourth time. Um, That really stood out to me. I was like, dang, that's that's an incredible level of detail and fluidity, which even for Downton, what they would usually do, they would let the music swell and crest, and then they Mm -hmm. would just have the actors stop talking and like stare at each other pointedly for a moment. The music would swell, and then it would smash cut to silence. In the next scene, it was like, and next scene. Uh, entirely different people. So it was very nice to see something that was so seamless. Um, it really adds to the air of um, everything being so concurrent, because we have all of our principal characters in three different locations. So it's it's something that, it, which is such a feat, let me say, in an episode of TV. The only other show that I've seen really do that super well uh, was really enough the final season of Rain where they were following um, Mary Queen of Scots, Elizabeth I and Catherine um, de Medici in back in France. So they had like stories happening concurrently in Scotland, England and France. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm like that level of like, um, like sort of spider web that storytelling is so good and I really appreciate when you when it's so well executed in the technical aspects as well not just in the writing I looked it up Sally Wainwright did uh, direct this episode according to IMDb oh awesome well done Sal uh, <laughs> yeah oh and then so, leading into a bummer moment um, Ann Walker stares longingly at a portrait of Anne Lister tears it out of her notebook and then burns it in a fire very much like it, it, which is interesting. Cause I was like, Oh, it's not, especially based off of the scene where captain Sutherland clearly has seen it. Uh, in assuming that's the only one of those in there in her sketchbook, the fact that yeah. she very much is like, this is her closing the book on this relationship as much as she can. Like, even though they didn't officially like, salt the earth and break up and burn it all down it's just she's been up there for like nine eight or nine months by this point so it's like the relationship is stalled and she's as far as she knows she's never contacted her you know and and lister has never written her so she's like wow she you know it's over over um which is a super poignant uh moment uh then immediately undercut by Anne's aggressive gay walk uh, into court, into, so <laughs> into Danish court is so, so good. I always love scenes where we get an over the shoulder, um, tracking shot power. So she's like aggressively power walking, uh, in her usual, uh, one femme outfit and curses to the, like kneels at the feet of like this much older woman <laughs> that, and the queen just like looks over like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and she has this very interesting, like, kind of like, this queen's giving up this strong, at least, you know, this strong bi-curious energy. <laughs> Not even curious. But this is, no, no, this is the confidence of, an, of a known bisexual woman. Um, when she is talking to Anne's like, tell me about Halifax. And Anne is like, uh, you know, so flustered, not only from like a huge faux pas, but more yeah. so like, I'm talking to a royal person. And she makes a point of saying earlier, she's never been introduced at court, uh, even yeah. in England. Yeah, she so in she a foreign wasn't court, fancy. no, she wasn't uh, high up in, in social ranking. She was just landed. Yeah. Um, and so she was very nervous 
as this woman asked her, it's like, oh, why do you uh, wear black all the time? And she kind of goes, she alludes to the story, but does the thing that is not unfamiliar to me personally of, oh, <laughs> oh I fell in love with a person. Yeah. Um, using a gender, a very gender neutral, um, you know, pronoun or way of telling the story to basically say I was engaged to someone and they married someone else and I've worn black ever since black or dark blue ever since. And how long ago was it? Yeah. That to me is the gayest thing about Ann Lister that she's that petty with an ex that she decided to wear black for 17 years. I love how the queen's like, that was hmm, 16 years ago. And she's like 17. (laughs) Yeah. A lesbian never forgets. Truly. Uh, that level of pettiness uh, is very gay. Oh, yeah. But also the the queen being like, um, so um, you are uh, up in the north, right? You know, you guys got a lot of new technology happening. Uh, you know, that must be the future. And then Anne, you could kind of see like a little bit of Anne who very much, for all her progressiveness, and as we've talked about many, many times over the course of mm-hmm. the podcast, is very progressive in certain ways, but not overly so. Um, and she was a conservative. She was like a Tory member. Yeah. And we'll get into this, I'm sure in later seasons, but so they talk about this in the first episode of the season, the landed, the, not the land people, but the, the tenants were allowed to vote after this election or whatever that's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. as long as you were a man, you could vote. Um, and not just like, like not just landed rich men or, or, you know, lords and ladies and dukes and earls and stuff, but a regular average man that just worked for like Lister. So like Thomas Salden could vote now. Yeah. But what happened because the rich people were like, oh no, I don't want these like poor people voting like for the labor or not the labor party didn't exist in the liberal party for working class rights because we like things stay the way they've always been. And we're Tories. So what they did is like basically pressure in like the most British mm. way possible their tenants to vote the way they voted. And if they didn't, they made life like harder for them. So yeah. Anne Lister famously did this. Um, she pressured oh. her tenants Anne. to vote conservative. And Anne Walker got in on it too because they thought, oh, Anne didn't do anything. But there's like some journal entries and things people have found that Ann Walker got in on it too. They would like, you know, if they heard one of their tenants weren't going to vote conservative, they would like go pay a visit and be like, oh, hey, how are you? Like, I heard you're not going to vote this way. But like, if you do, it'd be really good. They just like, you know, it was still a very British way of like, we're going to be as polite about it as possible. But like, if you don't, you know, there's going to be repercussions. Ballots were just like not secret? Yeah, I'm like, ballots just not secret? I don't think so because I remember reading something. I have to, I need to do more research on this, but I think like they would know if their tenants didn't vote the way they wanted them to. Or didn't vote at all. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Because uh, it was like a tentative. There was like a tentative, cool. and she had issues with because he wouldn't vote conservative. He voted liberal. So mm-hmm. Anne was pretty conservative. She was like a log cabin gay before that. Like you know, what log cabin gays are. They're like um, white uh, cis gay men that are older that are like conservative. It's like a political. Thing. Oh, so like gay Republicans. Yeah, gay Republicans. Yeah, so she was a gay yeah. Republican. I don't think she'd be wearing yeah, a MAGA hat or anything, but she would definitely no. be like it. <laughs> she would have, I think she'd been like a libertarian-ish like type. Yeah, which that that 
seems very like liberta- more libertarian than Republican would be, a, I guess, a more accurate assessment for her because she very much just wants to be left alone to do what she wants and doesn't particularly like yeah want anyone weighing into her like sort of personal, you know what I mean? Like moral, like quote unquote, like what would have been termed as a morality law, which is like what criminalized like same sex relationships in this time. Like, yeah, that sort of, she wouldn't be like in favor of that. I mean, obviously for herself, but I think generally like things that are very like not having to do with like taxes and like, power she wouldn't particularly care for mm-hmm. you know what i mean just based yeah. on what we we know of her i'm like i could see that being oh yeah, for sure socially um, liberal fiscally conservative and she was very classist too she's pretty classist too so oh yeah oh yeah that comes across in the show and i i like that that was left in there and that she's not made this overly progressive hero because i wasn't sure to who she was or necessarily the interpretation she would want yeah. so it, she was a human i don't like she had flaws i like that yeah, it's not like Rainwright wasn't interested in, like, gussying up this historical figure to make her, you know, exceptional, you know, to make her a modern, a contemporary hero, you know? Yeah. She was heroic for this very one thing that she did, but she was very much an ordinary woman with her own thoughts and feelings. She was not out to be a martyr or crusader. She wasn't out to She just wanted Jesus. to live. No, she she was literally out to live her life. You know? Yeah. Um, which I think there's something deeply noble in that, but also something that's, you know, in because you think about so many, like all of the big, um, you know, so many of the big social movements that have to do with like interracial marriage and, you know, um, marriage equality and things of that nature, where it's like, like the loving family literally just wanted to like raise their kids in peace yeah. um, in Virginia, which is why, you know, interracial marriage is, became legal nationwide they did not set out to do that neither of them had more than like i think a seventh or eighth grade education at most like they were not literally out here to crusade people to crusade on anyone's behalf even their own they literally just kept getting arrested over and over in virginia every time that they would just peep the cops would literally drive by their house and then arrest her husband like each and every time that they yeah. suspected they were back in Virginia. And it's this sort of thing where I'm like, but that sort of thing is like, I don't know, the, the heroism to live as you truly are, which is why I think so, particularly the lesbian community, but also, you know, other queer women or queer femme identifying people see so much beauty in, in this story and are so happy to see a story like this where it's like not gay people having to save the world but it's just a simple, honest love story. And it happens to be real, you know, which is so awesome. Yeah. Um, but in, uh, in, in that, see, and to circle it back to the point that we were both trying to make earlier in <laughs> letting her not be, not, not being the perfect person and not being yeah. perfect by today's standards or being the most woke or being anything other than what she was. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I will say when she said, the queen does say, we must always embrace the future. Uh, with like a pointed look. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a thing where it's like, we've, where we think that this is her, you know, if we don't know the story or if you're watching the episode for the first time, it's like leaving Ann Lister or Ann, sorry, leaving Ann Walker in the past, just as mm-hmm. Ann is burning, you know, this portrait is like moving. This is her beginning to move on. But at the same time, it's them 
to spoil the end of the episode, it's them leaving all their drama in the past, you know, of what, what the first half of what the series up until this point was, it's them moving forward and starting afresh in this new life together. Um, also, and then we get to Anne's aggressive gatewalking in all white at the ballroom. Um, you know, and she's like, all right, I'm out here doing great. And the first thing someone asks her is like, oh, do you hear any more from your friend who was unwell? She's like, <laughs> no, gee, thanks. She's like, thanks for bringing that up. I was, having, I was having a good 20 seconds. I can't power walk through this crowd of people. <laughs> um, I will say, okay, did you notice in the episode, I was on like a second or third rewatch. I couldn't tell if this was the case or not. Um, Cause the next thing Anne does is she grabs Sophie and they just aggressively uh, ballroom dance with each other. But I couldn't tell if it was like, people were looking at them, but I'm like, was it because there are two women dancing? Cause I thought I saw a couple women in the background dancing together. So I couldn't tell if it was like the way that they were dancing or if it was the fact that these two women were dancing as if they were a straight couple. I don't think they were looking at them because they were two women. Cause I feel like women danced together back then, like in a non like romantic way. Mm. I feel like it's probably more cause that dance was so aggressive. And then if you look in the background, the other people are dancing in those kind of like, you know, line group dances. Did you always, you always see in period dramas. So maybe it was just because they were doing that kind of like very aggressive, almost like Tarantella type dance. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably, that's really makes sense. And this actually featured my favorite. And the first time I ever really noticed uh, that subtle of a musical transition um, between the like very intense and like a little, um, yeah, this very intense, like sort of staccato music uh, in the ballroom scene. And then it fading into something very gentle and very like chambery background music when we cut to Anne Walker back in Scotland uh, with her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and this scene is oh, very dark, very, very sad. But also this is the moment that like, we really see who Elizabeth is and yeah. who, um, cause up until this point, I was so suspicious of her. I was so worried for Ann Walker. I was like, no one, they keep making you go to dinner with these awful men. I was so, yeah. But this scene is like such a perfect, perfect reversal. Um, in such a, like, um, I don't know if dramatic irony is the right word, but uh, yeah, it definitely was a huge reversal because it starts with Anne going, do you like being a mother? And his sister goes, of course. And she goes, no, I mean, really? (laughs) Which is so (laughs) on it. Which like, yeah, first of all, this woman has like four kids. They're all like these badass little kids running around (laughs) playing a recorder all hours of the day and night. I'm like, oh, God bless Elizabeth. Uh, That's why you look so tired and so sad all the time. Also, your husband sucks. Um, but then, you know, Anna's very much like, maybe I should just do it. Maybe I should just marry him. Cause like, you know, everyone will get off my case. And she's like, well, I can't really have what I want. So I might as well have this. And then sister Liz goes, well, what do you want? And Anna's just like, oh, you know, to make everyone happy, whatever. And I'm like, this is the first time literally anyone in the series has asked Anne, with the except Anne Walker, what she wants with the exception of Anne Lister. Yeah. This is the first time we see any member of her family try and get her to articulate for herself what she wants her destiny to be or even what she wants her day to be like. 
you know, um, it, it was so touching. That was the first moment where I was like, oh, wow, you're actually on our side. Um, and so she gives her the tea about Alexander being terrible with money, being kicked out of the army for insubordination and for having a temper. Um, and explains like, you know, I appreciate you entertaining him at dinner for my sake. Um, but literally, no, no, no. I did not think for a second you would actually want to marry him. Yeah. So, um, what you need to, you need to get the hell out. Cause she goes, Captain Sutherland won't let you leave until you marry him. Um, and gives her and like tells her that Aunt Lister wrote to her. And that is the thing. You see the light come back into Ann Walker's eye. Like, shout out to Sophie Rundle for that. And that was such an incredible moment to see the light just come into someone's eyes. Yeah. It's just like such like a truthful performance. I was like, oh, it's so good. Um, the scene was really wonderful um to watch. And she basically is like, and cared about you enough to write um gave me so much advice and I couldn't write her back so the only way you can ever get in touch with her again and I and she's like I've never seen such tenderness in the letter before um the only way you can ever get back to being with this person that whose influence you you really care about you have to go home go to her aunt and uncle and get her forwarding address and then get out yeah. um and so the basically Ann Walker sends strongly alerted worded letter Spills the tea to her immediate family about how garbage Captain Sutherland is and is like, send me a carriage. I'm getting the hell out right now. Um, but we need to not implicate Elizabeth. She doesn't reference the nature of like their marriage being because I don't think she knows fully the extent of how abusive or controlling it is. But she very much is like, I need to get out. Um, look, they're trying to marry me off to sell money, to get rid of my money. And like nothing spurs these oldies. Sorry, I, should, I don't want to like call them. It's kinda, no, no, no. These actors are all, you know, seasoned and lovely. But the characters they play are like very much old biddies. Um, yeah. Like nothing spurs them to action faster than her fortunes in danger. Um, she, although they will say just like, well, they didn't actually take her to a doctor either, which was the entire point of this. So let's get her out. But then they have yeah. this weird debating scene where they're like, oh, I can't do tomorrow. What about next week? Oh, that's impossible. I'm like, yo, what? This girl's in danger. I know it made me like them for like two seconds. And I remembered how horrible Eliza Priestley is. And I like I got over that real quick that moment of, oh, they're going to go rescue her and, like, uh, skipping ahead a bit, but when Eliza, like, tells Captain Sutherland off, I'm like, man, I wish you weren't so, like, homophobic, bro, because that was, like, pretty cool what you did, and I want to like you, but, like, also, I know you're just going to cause so much drama next season, so I'm not really looking forward to that part. But something interesting and um, that I found out is that in 1837, um, Anne sued... William Priestley. I'm not sure why some mm. Ann Lister code breakers are going through the diary, so I'm just seeing it on Twitter as they're figuring it out. But Anne sued Mr. Priestley. And there's, like, more drama with, you know, we say goodbye to Captain Sutherland here in a couple scenes. Oh, he ain't gone. He come, he rears his head again. Like, there's, oh, like, some no. drama between, like, Captain Sutherland and Elizabeth and Anne. So there's some drama about, like, her money and her estate, and, like, they get into it over it, and, like, she kind of falling out with her sister. It's like a thing. This happens like several years down the road. 
Um, but it's the thing that I think in th- see it, we wouldn't get to that till about season three. But from what I've seen from, from some Ann Lister code breakers, she has some like real issues with her family besides the fact they're like not for her moving in with Ann Lister. Um, I don't know if they'll keep Elizabeth sympathetic, but definitely Captain Sutherland. Like, there's an issue with her money and her estate and like the ownership of it. Not she. I mean, she yeah. owns what she has, but like. They, I think what they try to do, because Anne's not ever marrying, like, Captain Sutherland's trying to get in and get, the like, The male part heir. Of it. Yeah, yeah, like, part because... of it. Beca- I was, that's, he was, like, trying to get in and get part of it. Like I said, I've just seen bits and pieces on Twitter from, like, Anne Lister codebreakers that are going through the later journals. Yeah. That, like, you know, Anne Choma and them haven't got through yet because that's not part of the show coming up. Um, but I'm just seeing it on Twitter. But there was, like, real drama between, like, Elizabeth Sutherland and Captain Sutherland versus Anne. And then Anne did sue Mr. Priestley over something and it had to do with her money. It's all about that. But they're like, her and her family gets pretty ugly, actually, later on in um, Anne's life. And then yeah, obviously it's, after it's, Anne Lister dies, it gets worse. It sounds like they're doing the thing that Marion threatened to do to Anne, where it's like, I will have a son, and then that way I could potentially take over the estate with the next male heir and claim it on behalf of the next male heir in the bloodline. Um, which, ugh, that's so bad. That's so awful. Um, speaking of awful, Auntie Anne looks at, she is like out here hacking up a lung, um, like stage 10 gout, uh, <laughs> like full Henry VIII. Um, not full Henry VIII, I'd say like, half Henry uh, <laughs> out here and the local doctor who's not great at his job tells Marion right to Anne if we want if she wants a chance of at all of seeing her even for one last time tell her to come back and the literally the second not literally it looks like the the moment that Anne receives this letter she literally jumps up screams for Eugenie and we see her traveling the high seas all sorts of, you know, tra- which was like very dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the winter, they're crossing yeah. the North Sea and in it took what like, should be late winter. Yeah, they were like in that boat for a, for a long. Well, she says I haven't taken my coat off in fifteen days, and I think that's how long the boat ride took. Which I guess makes and it would have yeah, been freezing for, and terrible. Yeah. And she was seasick the whole time. There's a deleted scene where she's riding to Marion. And it's kind of cute. She's set up in that weird, like, hammock bed and her feet are dangling. She's, like, mm-hmm. doing this, like, dangling her feet. And she's writing to, to Mariana, yeah. which she's writing to Mariana. She's writing her a letter. And then she, like, has to stop. And then she gets pissed. And then she throws up. She was basically seasick, like, constantly for two weeks oh, in no. that boat. It was awful. And she had to sleep in her coat because, like, the beds weren't comfortable. And so she was, like, living rough. And Ann Lister, which is one reason I love her so much, she was obsessed with being clean obsessed with like yeah you know she was obsessively clean for somebody that lived in like the early 1800s um we can talk about that more but she had all these like obsessive cleaning habits and i'm like ah i love you (laughs) even more than i did before um but that was (laughs) like it was it was rough it was rough seas uh literally and figuratively speaking for her to get back to um halifax and but she get back to halifax she does um yeah, and then she well, she's en route is where we leave her there, and then we go to uh, Salden family saga again. 
Um, brother of bad dad comes by and is like, hey, my wife threw me out. Also, I don't have a job anymore. I just thought I would show up. Where's my brother? And they're like, oh, he's in America. Probably. We don't know. Um, Did you? But you're going to have to work. What? Did you see? I noticed this today. So, like, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben's Rice, as I call him, he, um, like, looks at, he asked something about, um, uh, why did he leave? Oh, like, you, he, he was like, yeah. was there bad words? And Thomas, like, nods his head yes, and his mom nods her head no, because they don't have their story straight. And I'm like, yes! oh, man. <laughs> I noticed that for the first time today. Like, I always knew, like, there was a weird, awkward pause there. But, like, today was the first time I actually saw that action. And I was like, y'all had months <laughs> to get the story straight. Oh, no. But, um. They are so bad at this. I'm I know. Like, Come on, man. Um, but basically, a thing that I think is not lost on them is that they had always said that the dad went over to hang out with him before making mm-hmm. his way to America. And now he, they're very aware that someone can counterman that story if asked. Yeah. Um, and almost certainly they would be asked. So they definitely, they're like, we don't have a reason to refuse you, but we would love for you to not be here um and so okay so then that wraps up things in Halifax for a bit we jump back to Scotland where the escape plan for Anne is like literally we see servants like carrying linens and stuff out to the carriage um and they're all like do you think he's like yep we're gonna hit by this day we're gonna be in this place and then this place and this place and on the way back um, he, oh, basically, sorry. They like walk down their itinerary. Um, and Anne is like in a bonnet, ready to go, ready to GTFO. And then they're like, there's no chance that Captain Sutherland will follow us, will he? And then literally a servant pops in and is like, hey, he's here. Uh, he's at the gate. And they're like, oh shit. And so they like, like run out. Um, you know, they, you know, they get outside and then he's like, whoa. He, clearly he's been tipped off or figured out very, very quickly that they've come to get her and that she's like said something to someone. Um, and he's like, Oh, you know, and so he's trying to play nice. And then, you know, Eliza Priestley lets him have it. And it's like, you, or she's like, well, she's still not better yet. And he's like, Oh, no, thanks to you who didn't take her to see any of the doctors that you would promise her. Mm-hmm. So, Clearly, you know, she's not doing any better. You know, you've had your chance. Goodbye. Good, you know, fortune hunt somewhere else. And he quickly, yeah, and he's, like, trying to, like, play nice. But then you see him, like, his face turn to Elizabeth. And he just snarls, like, say something. And then, like, puts that mask back on to immediately try and talk to Anne. Um, And then Anne's like, no, no, no. I'm making decisions from now on. And then she hugs her sister and says, I'm sorry. in like an actual voice it like, like truthfully. And then her acting quote unquote kicks in and she's like, I'm sorry if I, you know, that you didn't know anything about this. I didn't want to like, you know, be a burden. And so I'm sorry. I didn't tell you and you clearly knew, knew nothing about it. So I hope your husband believes what I'm saying and will <laughs> leave you alone. And she goes, Everything from now on when it comes to me is my decision. And you hear her voice shaking and you see her so scared. Mm-hmm. But she 
hops in the carriage, like sure-footed as you please. And I was like, hell yes, Anne. Powerbomb. It's so beautiful. It was such a beautiful note for that to end on. But then the scene goes a little longer and you just see him watch the carriage, uh, Captain Sutherland watch the carriage go. And then he turns back and he goes, he, all he says is inside and then like hits his wife's shoulder with like his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And she just looks so scared. And I'm like, that is the worst way. This scene was just so triumphant. Otherwise, yeah. um, reminded of mistakes and what, you know, and, being there you know she can't protect her there's no one else to witness like his cruelty to her um which was so rough um inside the carriage she insists on seeing dr balcom and like when they're like oh but there are others like no i will see him and they're like well i guess there's no harm in it now that ann lister is far away um and perfectly on cue the carriage pitches forward and they see her scarf for the first time. And she immediately is like, it's not what you think. I uh, tripped and had an accident and it's not what you think. And I'm like, which is the most, uh, you protested too much, yeah. um, which is, you know, it is exactly what they think, uh, sadly. Um, but it, it's still on the whole, a triumphant sort of exit, you know, stage left for Anne for the time being. Um, even though, her family's like kind of starting to see how bad things got for her. Like she is now in command, you know, like that sort of power of love boost that she like, Oh, she still cares. I can do it. I can say no. And, you know, have that backbone that Dr. Belcom was the first to tell her that she really had. She seems um, to, from what I've read, maintain that backbone to a degree. She does, you know, continue to struggle with her anxiety and depression um, but that backbone yeah. kind of stays. And I, that's because Anne's in her life. But she's just, I mean, we see it at the end of the episode, too. Um, she gets a little bit more backbone than she ever had before um, in these next, like, what, f- six-ish years she has with Anne before she dies. So I'm excited to see more Power Bottom Anne in season two. Man, I hope so. You know what I also want to see? More what? of Travel Anne's Low Pony. <laughs> Shout out Shibden After Dark. That's like their favorite yes. version of Anne. That really is. But as I looked at it, I'm like, wow, that hairstyle just genuinely looks good on Sir Anne Jones. Yeah. I mean, that's the way she um, looks like in real life with like her hair down. Yeah. Oh, she's like mean business. She's out here walking fast, yelling <laughs> at people. It almost makes up for Eugenie's uh, spit take directly into camera almost. <laughs> Also, I love Anne, like, riding the back of the carriage into Shivden Hall. And, like, Thomas Beach is, like, they're both passed out on the inside of the carriage. She's just, like, riding on the back of the carriage. It took me a few watches to catch that. That was her. But it's her, like, when they cut to the, the carriage going across the bridge, she's, like, hanging onto the back of it. Like, kind of, like, Captain Morgan style, you know? Like, with her leg up and just, and then it, then they cut to Thomas Beach. It, like, Beach. won't get her there any faster. It would take <laughs> her the same amount of time to open the door, but she was just so ready. I know. Um, I will say it was really, she basically, like, scold something like oh you guys are useless to like thomas beach yeah. and to eugenie <laughs> who are inside the carriage eugenie in her vomit take and grabs her by the face and is like you're not pregnant again are you which i don't think eugenie they ever discussed that so but i love that eugenie just was so done that she rolled with it where she's like not even doesn't even take a beat to be surprised or to be scared or ashamed or anything she's just like with that one no chance 
Not like they did. And then the first. Oh, go ahead. They did in a in a deleted scene in the script kind of discuss her pregnancy a little bit, but that wasn't oh, okay. going to get put in the show. So there, she didn't know it was discussed, but it was like okay. discussed like low key. Like I know that you're pregnant, but you didn't tell me. But like next time, let me know these things. And she didn't make like a big deal out of it or anything. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but I will say, Eugenie, the first thing she does is, like, wrap her arms thoroughly around accordingly. I know. <laughs> I love that. Which I thought was so funny, where she's just like, I'm glad to be back. I, like, can't stand this crazy woman. Uh, which I thought was, just, like, just the subtext of that was so, uh, was so fun. Um, and runs upstairs to see her aunt, Auntie Anne being totally fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> Like... Like, totally fine. And then she immediately, she's like, oh, you know, it's so nice to see you. I haven't taken this coat off for days. Let me just, you know, use the, you know, I don't know, they call it water closet, Lou, whatever. The necessary, uh, that's what she so, called it. The necessary, yes, thank you. She, like, rips this doctor a new rectal area. And she's like, know, you had me flying out here in the high seas, <laughs> like... Um, there's that, when she's upstairs and she's like, okay, I'm gonna go to, you know, I need, I'm desperate for, I de- I'm desperate for a trip to the necessary. And she like, kind of looks at Marion all nice and her aunt. And then she looks at Dr. Kenny and she's like downstairs now. And it reminded me, you know, when you're like a kid and you're acting up in front of people, but your parents don't want to like chew you out right there. So they're like, or do something, you do something bad in front of like, no, I never family acted up for- ever, ever. <laughs> and then your parents like kind of cut you a look and then also say something to you on the slide you oh. know like when you get home you're done that's what that reminds me it's gonna of. suck yeah that's oh, what that reminds me of <laughs> but at the same time i'm like i kind of feel bad for him because he did i think he did the right thing you know people would yeah. always prefer a chance to say goodbye and be wrong versus the alternative yeah. um and then immediately after that scene with you know that storyline resolved um her dad is like, so, uh, what happened to the deeds to Shipton? And she basically goes, what had happened was, and he's like, so there was another mm-hmm. collapse and now you borrowed against the estate. So that means part of the estate is in jeopardy and will short of an influx of cash need to be sold. And he just like lets her have it. Like doesn't mm-hmm. care that she's exhausted. Doesn't care that she's getting over the shock of her aunt. I'm thinking her aunt is it, but I'm like, at the same time, she need to his mind needlessly put all of their livelihoods, their, you know, income, their home in jeopardy. Um, and so it was just like such a down sort of hope is lost moment, uh, for Anne. It was really interesting. Cause like conversely, Anne Walker and Anne Lister kind of have a different low, what is it? Pits, I guess. I'm trying to think in terms yes. of screenwriting structure. If you could know the term for this, please help me out. Um, like your the character's lowest point. Because like Anne hit hers at the like top of the episode. Hmm. And now, or Anne Walker, sorry, hit hers at the top of the episode and is now climbing out of it. And well, this on, is Anne Lister hitting hers. Well, they're on like opposite past but they're it's kind of like you know two lines and they've like intersected and going up yeah. and down hills and valleys and now they're finally like, yeah. like together so it's just kind of this like um 
it's a really nice juxtaposition, the kind of journey that mm. Anne and Anne are on. Because it's like these two lines. They're intersecting. They're up and down. They can't quite meet. Mm-hmm. But then finally we're getting to this point, this precipice, this, you know, kind of end of the second act, so to speak, of the whole season. You know, this, if you want to talk three-act mm-hmm. structure from screenwriting, they're kind of end of the second act. They're kind of coming yeah. to a resolution. And then there's the after part of that resolution, which is the last, like, ten minutes of the episode. Yeah, and uh, so at that lowest point, she goes to the pit and does some cathartic screaming. Um, Just on the top of this hilltop, hasn't even changed clothes, literally like immediately went um, from Shipton Hall to check out this coal pit Um, and is just staring into it and like, like a literal money pit. (laughs) <laughs> she's just like staring into it in despair and um she finally has a moment by herself and the cathartic screaming is interrupted by none other than ann walker <laughs> um both are and they, the way they look at each other is so sheepish and like taken aback to see the other person there after so long well also um, too they both had no and are bo- idea like Anne was like aren't you supposed to be in Scotland and she's like aren't you supposed to be in Copenhagen they just like that is the last person Anne Anne Lister thinks she's going to see so she's kind of just like flat like flabbergasted there for like the first little bit of that conversation and also um guarded too because she's like what 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 are you doing here and what are your your intentions are you just gonna like run rings around me again are you actually gonna like make a commitment so I can understand her like guardedness in this situation like I felt that way but Ann Walker does a really good job of just kind of gently like chipping away piece by piece so she kind of like convinced her like okay I'm like here to stay this time but it's like totally and and notice in the um the blocking of the scene was so brilliantly done in that Anne is there and sorry I realize you can't just do first names with this show every time this gets me (laughs) um Anne Lister when Ann Walker, Ann Walker is the one to bridge the gap for the mm-hmm. entirety of the scene, you know, which is lovely symbolism of Ann Lister literally being on the edge of a cliff <laughs> and Ann Walker is the one to make, do the work to approach her and to come towards her, which is such a nice inversion of what their relationship has been for so much of the show. Um, and, and the one Ann Walker takes her first few steps towards her. Um, Ann Lister takes a couple steps back, like almost like a yeah. flinch, which was so interesting and so telling. It was very much like, almost like she can't believe she's real. Also, like, what do you want? It was like such a d- defensive gesture. And I thought that was so brilliant to watch. Yeah, I mean, that is relatable for me, at least, because I've been burned a lot, you know. So when somebody actually mm-hmm. does show you affection or is like serious, you're just kind of like, are you like, is this a, is this real? Cause I think that's part of Ann Lister's mm. thing. She's been, she's, she's 41, 40, she's 41, 42 yeah. at this point. That's really, it's today. That's kind of old to never have like really settled down today. Imagine how old that was back then. Yeah. So she's really kind of like almost, I think in her heart, like probably in her darker recesses of her thoughts have thought, you know, I'm never going to find anybody. And to finally have somebody like commit and like kind of be serious. It's like, 
I don't know if I can believe this, but, you know, by the end of the scene, she does. But I understand that trepidation, like, 100%. Yeah. And Anne, and then, do you want to take it over from Anne Lister talking about her adventures? Yeah. Well, it's just I know like, you have a lot to say about this scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, she starts talking. I think it's also, too, that, that mechanism of the conversation's getting a little... There's a lot of emotions happening and she's just trying so to much. Like, and she's instead of keep getting emotional and like have to say something, she's doing what she wants to. I think she's been like bursting at the seams to have like she says, I wish you could have seen me there. I, you know, I've missed mm-hmm. you every time I, you know, close my eyes. All I saw was you. I think she's bursting at the seams to like just tell like I've been on all this like really cool stuff and I have to tell you everything right now. And it's also kind of breaking the tension too because she makes Ann Walker laugh a little bit and just makes it easy. And they realize like oh like nothing's really changed. Like the good stuff hasn't changed. We still get on really well together. We enjoy speaking together. And it's kind of like oh this isn't dead. I think that's kind of like a realization for both of them. Like oh this isn't dead. This isn't over. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like lighthearted conversation of her telling her about like the going to Copenhagen and seeing the queen. And then it leads into, you know, I, I, I nice people, the Danes. I think I'll go back there sometime. And Anne Walker's like, maybe I could go with you. And Anne's like, not this again. Like, you know, uh, but she's like, you know, and then she says that that fantastic line, you know, if you asked me to marry you again, I wouldn't say no. And then mm. Anne's like, wait, I have it written down. If you want to go yeah, through go it, for it, I think I pretty much have it. But um, I wouldn't say no. And she's like, oh yeah, but would you say yes? I love that. That's so because it is like, but would you yeah. say yes for real? Would you really mean it? And she said, take the sacrament with me in church and mean that too. Yes, and my little Episcopalian <laughs> heart. I know. Which for me, I'm like. I kind of get, I see I'm like an evangelical, ex-evangelical Christian, so we don't do mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um, but I, just, I kind of understand the significance of that for her and what that means. Um, but, and she said yes, yeah. and she says, you know, I love you, I'm in love with you. And the way Anne's eyes like sparkle, even behind all those tears when she says mm. that, it was it was really good. Uh, somebody said on Twitter the other day, if you watch that scene, you can see like several different emotions go over Anne's face in that moment. It's mm-hmm. like a different, it's like two or three different things. Um, mm-hmm. And then when she says, I have always, um, I love you. I've, I'm in love with you. I always have been. And Anne has that moment, but then she kind of gets sad. And she's like, but don't hurt me. I'm not as strong as you mm. think. Well, obviously I am, but sometimes I'm not. And as somebody that's like masculine of center and Cameron Esposito talked about this in her reviews of the show, that yeah. was like, I feel that was an I feel seen moment. Because it is like when you have like a masculine of center tendencies, you do tend to be a fairly emotionally strong person. You tend to be kind of like the rock in a certain relationship. Friends are not, you're kind of like that person that somebody can depend on. But like we have feelings too. And... We uh-huh. we are strong, but sometimes we're not. And Ann Walker should know that too, because she's seen Ann Lister like crumble in front of her before, so she knows she has her limits. She's like saying, like, "Yeah, all right, you love me, but you can't do what you've done to me in the past again." Like I have feelings. Like I, you need to respect those feelings. The hilltop kiss with the amazing like crane shot. 
that goes up and over, and you see all of uh, the beautiful English countryside. That killed me more than anything. I'm a sucker for the English countryside. Like, everybody in Western North Carolina says, like, this is the most beautiful place in the world. It, it, it is. But mm. the English countryside gets me more than anything. And that scene is so good. Mm. And the lighting. I've seen the BTS shots. And Choma posted some. Uh, I didn't see. There's no lights. That's all natural lighting. They might have had some silks up somewhere. But I yeah. didn't see them in the BTS shots. So that was purely natural lighting. Which is my favorite way to shoot. It's the hardest way to shoot. But if you can do it the right way. It's like early golden hour, which is like my favorite. Oh, I love it so much. I like literally wrote, they're kissing the pan away to the countryside during golden hour. My rights. <laughs> which is 100% it was what so it was. It's so romantic. It's, it's honestly, how many scenes can you think of in a period drama, contemporary, whatever, where you know it's just like the height it's so deeply romantic and I literally sat there I'm like I've never seen in my life anything like this for um a queer storyline particularly one that centers two women definitely never seen one that was this genuinely romantic not sexualized in any way and like the show's been pretty good about like sexual scenes and you know being not male gazy I guess as a way to turn it at, as mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get at. But just here, this is just so, such pure romance that like, if this were, this is like, you've seen this, this exact sort of pan away into, you know, a beautiful countryside or the sunrise or sunset or whatever, a million times with straight couples. I'm pretty sure that's how Princess Bride ends. You know, it's like, <laughs> you see this all the time, but to see it so tender and so beautifully executed, for two women is just so wonderful and so affirming and heartwarming. I think the first time I watched, I definitely cried. I oh, definitely yeah, was like too. in tears at this moment. I was single. Yeah. Like, I was emotional. And also I had the biggest grin on my face too. Cause I was like, this is so good. Yeah, this is everything was, I wanted. I'm an Aquarius. So there are limits to how much heartwarming content I can consume before I hate it. But I'm like, this is the perfect amount where I'm like, oh, it's so bittersweet, but sweet. Sally Rainwright is really good at being sweet, but not saccharine. She's, yeah, and she talks about that too in the next scene where they get married. You know, she didn't want this whole like romantic walk out of the church. I mean, it was, but they were kind of bickering in like this cute way because that's marriage. That's a relationship. Um, So she wants it to be sweet, romantic, but it's, it's real. That's also how two women in a relationship are, you yeah. know, it's just the particular dynamic, not to speak to other dynamics of queerness and that they can't be like this, but very explicitly as someone who dates a woman, like this little level of like banter, s- the softest form of bickering and like poking at each other. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent. it. Yeah. That's so real. Um, and it's, it's friendly, it's companionate. And you see them having seen them go through such high highs and such low lows. This is just such a nice, normal, happy middle ground, but it's just like, you know, it's just them literally making plans for the rest of their day, you know, (laughs) and then it was just so sweet in it's, in it's normalcy, Mm -hmm. you know? I love it. So let's go to the wedding. Um, two weddings, actually two weddings. Two wedding, wait, wait, two weddings 
and a murder mystery. I know. Is kind of what we should call this uh, final uh, wrap up. Yeah. Um, so we see the straight wedding uh, between Lil Souden and Susanna happening concurrently with the lesbians. Um, so we see a very, it's a, again, as we pointed out, the public private contrast of like everyone in the town can come and see the straight couple get married. Um, you know, they're also, they're just their nines, but the nines of like real poor people. Yeah. So, but also, you know, Anne and Anne, as they exchange rings in the carriage are dressed like act as like the wealthy class are dressed the best they could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're just alike. They're in periwinkle for Anne Walker and this gorgeous Royal blue for, um, and Lister, and they're like giggling like teenagers versus the actual teenagers who are getting married. It's <laughs> like a very solemn thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very solemn. And they're going into the church and, um, you know, they, they have this very long ceremony and you see them like sign their name in this like book and like booklets, like in like the vestige vestiges of things like that, like these County records, these town records exist to this day. You know, like this, these are particularly in England, definitely less so here are like super important historical records that like, you know, academics and, you know, anthropologists, archivists, whoever are all used to this day and rely on for like wedding bands, you know, um, and this couple is writing themselves into history, um, in a way that. And Liz, well, ironically, it's only ironically and incidentally that Anne Lister and Anne Walker kind of write themselves into history. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is the public spectacle versus like privately going and taking, going through a perfectly ordinary mass, you know, but just happening, happening to, ha- sorry. And they just both happen to sit together. Um, not happen to, quote unquote, happen to sit together and happen mm-hmm. to take the sacrament of communion at the same time. Uh, Anne Lister's genuinely happy but satisfied look to the camera right before they step into church grounds not talking to anyone but it's like such a perfect it was so good because it it, it fulfills the thing that we were set up in episode one where Anne's like I shall endeavor to make her my wife which she did she succeeded in her goal but it's like she succeeded in the goal not in the way that she planned and that before Mm -hmm. that was like almost purely monetary meanwhile this has turned into literally you know a true love Matt. We both spent a year trying to forget about each other and couldn't do it. You yeah. know. It was so that look at camera is my favorite thing in the world. It's such brilliant camera uh, direction and acting direction too. Um yeah. that took, I knew that took it was a moving shot. to get done. Yeah. Uh, oh absolutely. Uh, it's so good. Um I was gonna say something. And it cuts to look it cuts away to Lil Souden flashing back to uh, the murder as he takes a sacrament Godfather style. Uh, <laughs> if you're familiar with the horse head scene, or not the horse head scene, sorry, the mass murder that happens while um, um, Michael Corleone is being honored by the Catholic Church. Um, yeah, and this, I will say, this is like very much a high, I think it's, I think it's considered a high church wedding which I'm Episcopalian, which is American Anglican. So it was really weird to watch the scene for the first time because my brain was auto-completing the, um, the, the, the catechism. Mm-hmm. 
and all the words to the prayers in my mind. So I was like trying to focus on the scene, like 80%, but 20% my brain was just reciting <laughs> these things I've heard for years since I was like, ever since I was a kid. Um, so yeah. And then wait, do you want to talk about the finger touch? Cause I think that's going to be my shot of the, my favorite frame of the episode. Um, yeah. as they walk the back to the pew, so as, oh, it's so, so beautiful. And it, cause it's the light that of the church the... just catching. Go. That in the, um, sorry, that in the, um, the kiss in the carriage. I don't think was the kiss mm. in the carriage for sure wasn't scripted. That was something mm. added in the scene. Um, and I don't know about the finger touch, but there was just these really like, that's as much intimacy as they can have at their wedding. Yeah. Day. Cause they yeah. can't, I mean, they just can't, they can't do it in public. The carriage is a risky place to do it. Even though they full on boned in the carriage before too. But I think cause they're like on a, a popular like city street where people can see in, they can't actually like, they have to like kiss real do quick. Do be making just, like, out. Yeah. yeah. To like, you know, real quick and then look around and make sure nobody saw type thing but it was so good yeah but they sit down in the pew and at first i was like super concerned because they both look so shook but it's like yeah we just got married in front of god and well all these people but they don't know that (laughs) (laughs) but um they looked so shook and at first i was worried it was going to be like a um the graduate you ever see the the graduate, thank you. Yeah. Yes, the scene where, like, Michael, um, I think his character's name is Michael, correct? Um, the graduate? I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't matter. Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. And, yeah. Dustin Hoffman staring into the middle distance uh, next to a woman in a bridal regalia. Um, but, like, clearly it's like they both look shook, but then they look at each other, and then you see how broad their smiles are and so genuine where it's like, it's like a little shy, but just so happy. And you're like, oh, that's wonderful. And you're like, ugh. So I'll tell you a little excerpt from the book. This is the true sequence of events. Because in this scene, they, you know, trade rings in the carriage and then go in and get married. That's not quite how it happened in real life. Um, so this was in March in February. It says on February 27th. Sorry, on the 27th of February, 1834, Anne and Anne exchanged rings. As they traveled together towards the, called the North Cliffs estate, the pact was quietly made. I asked her to cut, this is, and this is from the actual uh, diary. I asked her to cut the gold wedding ring I wore and lent her sixpence to pay me for it. She would not give it me immediately, but wore it till we entered the village of Langton and then put it on my left third finger in token of our union, which is now understood to be confirmed forever through... Though little or nothing was said. And then that night, um, so Anne, this is a sexual thing, but Anne Lister wouldn't let herself be fully naked with Anne Walker until they were married. And for her, that was enough that they exchanged rings. So cut to that evening. Uh, Anne was to wear the onyx ring that Anne had perched for her in York. Though it would be another month before the two women took the sacrament together. Um, that day she allowed herself to be quote-unquote near to Anne. No drawers on last night. This is from the diary. First time and first attempt to get really near her. Did not succeed very well, but she seemed tolerably satisfied. <laughs> so they, like, had, like, oh, no! full-on. They had, like, full-on, like, 
Yeah, full-on relations, like no nightgowns, no nothing. So I'm expecting that in season two. Um, and then flip okay. two. Flip to them actually getting married on, sorry, one second. So it was another, like, month before they got married. So this is on 30th of March, 1834. This is straight from the diaries. And I love this passage. It's so sweet. Miss W. and I and Thomas stayed the sacrament. Almost all the congregation stayed, and though the church too small to hold many, mm-hmm. the service took 40 minutes. The first time I ever joined Miss W. in my prayers, I had prayed that our union might be happy. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's so pure. Oh, man. Uh, and to ruin that a little bit, uh, Washington <laughs> finds out about Bad Dad's brother. Uh, it can't write and then has capitalist suspicions. But who cares? That's a problem for season two. We go back to the wedding ceremony. Or, sorry, we go back to outside of the church. And immediately afterwards, they, like, take a breath. They come out of the church grounds. And then Ann Lister immediately starts being like, so I was thinking, you will pack your things and move some stuff to Shipton. You're going to do this. We're going to make a call on these people. Da-da. And Ann Walker's like, yes, we'll do that. But not today. Uh, yeah. It's just like, well, you know, we should just crack on. It's like, no, I know you like to crack on to things, but not today. Um, and then Anne start, like pulls her watch. She has her pocket watch out and she's like, put your watch away. Um, and then they start like, and it, it turns into slight actual bickering, but mostly good natured bickering. And Anne Walker's like, you may be my wife, but you will not run my life. I am power bottom and this is my wedding day. We're not going to be doing any moving. Like, look, we can U-Haul another day, ma'am. Uh, I was like, oh, I hope they went to, and like literally my brain was like, I hope they go to brunch or something. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know what the, what the equivalent of this time period is, but I'm like, oh, I hope you guys go and have like a nice day. Uh, there's a bunch of fan fiction about what happens after that. Most of us do is sex, but I mean, there's a few. You don't say <laughs> on their wedding night. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> Most of um, them are just like but I will say I, erotica, but okay. I mean, they're, it, it, they're out there. Ann Walker tells her to put the watch away. Um, and Ann Lister gives her a very, you're very pretty in a certain light. Uh, and then they continue bickering and we get to the episode title where Ann Lister goes, are you still talking? Um, and it's, it's adorable as the like, drone or crane or whatever it is rises high into the sky and we see them like walk into the crowds of of the city um and it's a really beautiful ending to a lovely season of hbo programming Uh, and we have (laughs) better ending than the finale of game of thrones oh god so that was around the same time too and i was like please god Uh, it was yeah yeah within a month of each other yeah i was like please god let the gentleman Jack finale be better than the Game of Thrones finale. Uh, but no, that was... Um, season finales are hard to do. Very hard to do from our perspective. Because you have to leave... Because you have to wrap viewers, it all. You have to finish it. But yeah. then also leave them wanting more. But 100%. this was perfectly done and I felt satisfied. And like if the show didn't get renewed, it would suck. But... I, at least this story had an end and you can read more and figure out what happened. I could live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like yeah. If, if it didn't get renewed, I would have been like, okay, but it ended so beautifully. It's not like a season one. You know, I mean, there's so many season ones that are all cliffhanger. 
Yeah. You know, and I'm like, for that, this was a show that went in expecting to be a limited series and um, will hopefully be much, much more than that. Um, but it, it was really such a beautiful show. Um, any last thoughts or should we move on to recurring segments? Um, just that in terms of season finales for TV shows, I would say this gets a 10 out of 10. Um, in terms of mm-hmm. ratings on IMDb, I think it's the highest rated episode of the season, if I'm not mistaken. So that's not surprising. I, yeah, and just looking back retrospectively, I mean, I could watch every episode and I could do a true like film breakdown of this show. There's not much, especially in the later episodes, that I would change about this show. I could there's some kinks and stuff like technically and cinematography wise in the first few episodes I might change, but. The, the this show only got better with every single episode. And it's because they probably they shot it mostly to... in order, probably. Yeah. Minus a few things. So, I mean, they got better at it. But this this was the best episode of the season. For sure. I all, think... all across the board. Yeah. It was very much a show that... Oh, shoot. I think... I... Oh, yeah. I found it. Sorry. I thought my... I lost my thought. It doesn't have a lot of fat on it. Um, even the storyline... Even, like the storylines which like you know we give minimal lip service to on this podcast (laughs) um and that like people like you know the things with like cold drama or like bad dad's out in stuff it's very much there's even within those scenes it's very economical um we're not spending a lot of time on like side quests if that makes sense it's very very tight um and that's the thing that i think comes from whereas hbo can have the luxury of bloat. BBC cannot. Um, because, well, also it is funded by taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, it, it is a, you know, a, a normal um, TV network where, like, you know, you have to accommodate all these other shows and you have to cut. And granted, they, you know, there's differences, as we've talked about, between the HBO, what aired on HBO, what aired on BBC. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, not a lot is missing between the two of them. So it, it's very tightly written, beautifully performed. There were a few things where I was like, oh, this we're getting some somewhat clunky exposition, but even then it didn't, it never super bothered me in the way that this stuff normally very much bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I shout out to Sally Rainwright. What wonderful, a masterclass in television writing. It really is. She's a top-notch screenwriter. Good screenwriting is hard to do. And the fact that she wrote all these episodes by herself, like, there's no writing staff on this show. Like, I think there's some script supervisors. It's kind of like how, you know, Julian Fellows wrote all of Downton Abbey by himself. And even though this is a bad example, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff wrote most of Game of Thrones by themselves, which shows. But anyway, that's a bad example. But um, Sally Rainwart most wrote most of these episodes by herself. And this is a really cool fact. There's Anne Lister has a writing credit in every episode. And oh, I think Jill, that's so cool. And so does Jill Liddington, too, because this her book, Nature's Domain, covered this time as well. Um, so Anne Lister has a writing credit. Jill Liddington does. Um, and Anne Choma was the historical advisor and, like, basically decoded all the diary entries for Sally Rainwright. But I think she wrote pretty much all these episodes. Maybe there was a little bit of help, but it wasn't, like, a huge writing staff team. It was pretty much just her. Um, and I've, as far as I know, she's writing all the season 
too by herself and then there'll be edits and things added in and out but um to write a show like this and also direct a show like this as well as she did that's really flipping hard uh show running is harder the hardest job in show business in my opinion because it, it lasts for a long time and you're always working on the show um yeah you rarely your downtime is you have the least amount of downtime of anybody else working on your show because you have to be writing yeah. you know like everybody else can be off doing other jobs until production starts but you're writing months before as sally rain writes writing season two right now and has been for a few months or a couple months mm. so i mean her job never really ends ever and big shout out to her that she's able to do this and write this so well and so accurately um it's so lovingly yeah it's really it's really well done it's really well made and i can't wait for season two because i think it'll be even better because hopefully hbo and bbc put some a little bit more money behind it because it's i they did to start with peer dramas are incredibly expensive to film mainly because of costumes and having to dress everything to look old that's really expensive yeah. yeah it's really expensive peer dramas are very expensive um, but I'd love to see a little more budget thrown behind it, a little bit more social money thrown behind it. Hey, HBO, uh, email me. I'd love to <laughs> do that for you. Um, but I think season two is going to be even bigger and better. They will be because they go on their honeymoon, they travel. Um, there's drama that goes on with her family. There, there's plenty of stuff to dig through through the next six years. Um, that we have with her sister sure. before she dies. So there's a lot to dig through. And I'm really, really excited. We just have to wait a very long Yeah. <laughs> Moving along, what would you say your favorite costume or prop of the episode was? Whew. Um, I'm going to go with Ann Lister's wedding outfit because I love that suit. I want like a modern day version of that suit. You know, a coat, like the suit and pants in that blue color, the vest, yeah. not double-breasted. That royal blue. Single. I want that suit, but like a modern version of it. Bad. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that was my costume piece of the episode, followed by, uh, <laughs> in one of the first time I did these notes, I just wrote straight bride. Uh, <laughs> I've since learned her name is Susanna's flower crown. <laughs> Because I'm a slut for a good flower. Sorry, I'm a slut for a good flower crown. I love it. It was like big, like especially ones that have big, colorful flowers, and they're not just like the little dainty ones. I love it. I love to see it. Um, favorite frame. Um, I think mine is. I mean, Hilltop proposal is pretty good, but I like that oh, more yeah. as a I like that more as a quote than a frame. Frame. I think Ann Anne Walker looking off at the into the distance at the beginning of the episode in mm-hmm. Scotland. I just love that landscape. And it's such a there's so much negative space in that shot. It's just it's really beautifully done. Yeah. It felt very cinematic. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, my well, okay, I didn't pick the hilltop scene and that pan out into the countryside because that seems too obvious, but that is hands down. I think my favorite of the series, um, followed by the the slight hand touching where like the light is coming through and like not quite silhouetting the hands, but you just see the fingers like graze each other and it's so beautiful and so intimate and just so nicely done. I love it. Um, it's very much like that holy, it's like sort of like the holy light coming on it. Like if you ever see West Side Story where like 
when they sang, was it Two Hands, One Heart, whatever, whatever that song is called, uh, with Natalie Wood and, I don't know, the man who's in it, the person who's not Natalie Wood who plays Tony, uh, <laughs> they they pledge their love to each other in the flower, in, sorry, Wow, I'm falling apart. It is 11.30 at night and I'm falling apart. Okay, let me back it up. It's very much like the scene in West Side Story where they sing, I believe it's two hands, one heart, um, in the flower shop where they kind of pledge their love to each other and the light just goes so white. And it's like, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, It's like their union being blessed. I thought that was really lovely. Um, But also I did also like Anne's address to the camera when she's in the all black, like traveling clothes um, when they're in Copenhagen and Sophie's in the like deep, deep background uh, with the almost certainly CGI waterfall. <laughs> um, but when Anne turns to address the camera to talk about sending Ann Walker's sister advice about her, um, I love the way the dark plays off of the, the gray sky and the bright green grass. It's just like, I'm like, I love that sort of color, um, contrast there. And also yeah, just the regular really contrast between the dark and the light, uh, is very beautiful. Um, all right. Favorite bit of dialogue. We both, I think have touched on ours, but if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it's gotta be Hilltop proposal or <laughs> Hilltop proposal just because that like, again, re- deep resonation in that, that, conversation uh number two that just kind of made me giggle was um uh, the queen and and that killed me because it's just like the petty like she's like 16 years she's like oh, 17 and yeah that, I, I i don't know that's just to me just like petty lesbian stuff that's just has never changed in 200 years it's not changed at all so that those two things but i mean obviously he'll talk proposal that was Beautifully done and beautifully acted. I, I, I can't not choose that as my favorite quote. But also, there's something the the what you're describing in the scene with the queen. It was like also Anne Lister not able to not correct someone. I know. <laughs> yeah. Like with the queen, she's like a 16, 17, actually. Yeah. You know, like that sort of. Uh, uh, she doesn't care. She can't turn it off, and that's why we love her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Hillstop scene was beautiful and amazing but if i'm choosing a single like line of dialogue you're very pretty in a certain light like that sort of level of like not even not like a serious put down like Mm -hmm. it's clearly not meant it's clearly entirely tongue-in-cheek but i love it so much because that's (laughs) kind of how me and my girlfriend very much talk to each other yeah um and it's all very much meant in good fun like we very much know how we feel about each other so like yeah. those little those little um like needling it's very fun it's also something you do when you're extremely comfortable in a relationship with someone and i love yeah. seeing them have that comfort with each other it's very hashtag relatable so guys that's season one is done a gentleman jack and also of Jack the Last Podcast. But like we said, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be back for new episodes in a few weeks. Um, these episodes are going to be... Um, we're really excited about them. Because Probably shorter. They're going to be shorter. Like because, a little mini. Yeah, because we're also going to... They're going to be... These are planned. Trust me, they're planned. But we just kind of talk in, about how much you love the show. These are going to be more like narrowed down like 
specific episodes that we want to try some different production stuff with to kind of make the podcast more dynamic. So be looking more for season two. Yeah. Looking for in season two a little bit higher production, um, a little bit more put uh, we're not uh, put together is the wrong word because we're put together now but more bigger put together, and better bigger and better more production because we have more time to work on these web episodes because Karen and I are both very busy so we have more time to work on the episode so expect bigger and better episodes season two about topics that not other podcasts I don't think have really covered if they have we're going to take a different angle to them so look or, it'll just be two. better we can, we can just, say that, right? We'll okay, just be it just, just be better. Um, but we're excited. Uh, social posts are not stopping. So be sure to follow us. You know, we'll say all of our stuff at the end, but be sure to follow us on all of our social media. Posts are not stopping. We've got some really cool things like the drinking game and other things we're working on behind the scenes. Our website is launching. It is launched. It is live. Go check it out. com. There's blog posts on there. There's going to be content from Jack the Last. We're not going away entirely. We're just only going to be putting out episodes probably about once a month until season two gets like a date. Then we can kind of like figure some stuff out. Um, but yeah, yeah we'll be excited. more of a true recap show around that time because we'll be working yeah. closer to real time as the show I'll is airing. I'll probably be in New York by then. It'll be great. Hey. We can record these live. We'll have video episodes again because a lot of you guys like the video episodes. We did too. I want to do that every episode, but we kind of can't because we don't live in the same place. And I don't want to have like FaceTime videos as our stuff. I want it to look nice. Oh, please. Yeah. No one yeah. wants that. <laughs> so we'll have actual video episodes too when we get, um, when I'm, when I'm in New York. So, um, stay tuned for season two of Jack the Last as we delve into more topics on Anne Walker and Lister and the people in their lives and fun, cool things and history and queer stuff. And I think you guys are really going to like these episodes. We're really going to put more time and effort and production into these episodes. So look forward to those. I guess that means you'll be getting the first one towards the end of November, probably around Thanksgiving, Carrie, probably somewhere there. Yeah, thereabout. But we will see you guys here on this podcast in audio format uh, next month, towards the end of next month. Yeah, thank you so much. And if there's anything you like, anything you don't like, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, our YouTube channel, or also leave us a retu- uh, sorry, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, every pod, like just like every other podcast, we ask you to do that because that's the majority of our listenership comes through iTunes. Um, and it helps people find us. So if you enjoy the show at all, like, please, you know, shoot us some five stars. Even if you don't think we deserve five stars, shoot us a five stars and we will retroactively earn those. Nice. So you have also all of our socials, the production company that produces this podcast, my production company is relaunching. So follow all that stuff. You guys can keep that, uh, you guys can keep up with me on all that stuff, filmmaking, all that type of thing. On my socials, at the Kelsey P. Jones, on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Please follow us. We post lots of fun, cool stuff. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at underscore I am living color, and on Instagram, at I am living color. Cool. That's it. Thank you guys for an amazing season. We are signing off. It is late when we are recording this podcast, so we're going to sign off and go to sleep. Guys, Thank I'm about to eat dinner, so... Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, did I tell you this? Please leave this in because I want people to know okay. how cool I am. I couldn't get the store of salsa open, so I texted my girlfriend, and she was too far away. She wouldn't come. Well, I didn't <laughs> ask her to come, but I was like strongly implied it would be really awesome if she opened this thing of salsa, if she was nearby and would open this thing of salsa for me. But sisters doing it for themselves. I managed to use a leather jacket. She has like a little grippy thing to open it. So nice. That may be the queerest thing I've done in my life, including the hitting, the, hitting the uh, the glass jar help. Yeah, it is. Yes. Also, yeah, it yeah. does. It's so if you're ever in a pinch and you don't have those like little rubber grippy things, hit the bottom of the jar. Shout out to Kelsey for teaching me that one. Plus, grab a leather jacket. And just twist. I'm really good at opening jars and stuff, but I have like really good grip strength and like workout and stuff, so it's probably cool. I don't have upper body strength Say or lower like, body strength. I'm I'm strong, but I'm small but mighty. That's what I like to say. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you again for listening to season one of Jack Blast podcast. It's been a blast. We will see you guys here at the end of next month for season two. Whew. See you guys at the end of November. Bye. Stay gay. I want to thank you guys again for listening to this week's podcast. Follow us online at Jack the Last Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And check us out online at jackthelastpodcast.com. Jack the Last the Podcast is that hipster kid production produced, edited, and narrated by Kelsey P. Jones and Carrie Kears. Music is by Epidemic Sound. Mm-hmm.